my question to you is, given what you knew back in February, how many people do you think could have been saved around the world and in, and in Italy specifically if this information had become policy everywhere? Do you think 99%, 99%. So you think the pandemic could have been finished by now? Absolutely. Uh, you can have maybe because you arrive late, you don't take them at the first symptoms when early outpatient treatment, I say. So maybe you arrive after one week and they already have big problems. So on that part, kind of, you know, of uh, group, you can lose them 1%, 1% of them. But all the others, you can save them. All the other, uh, I saved people that was more than 96 years old with many pathology. You can save them. Even with cancer, three cancer metastasis, you can save them because it's a virus. And if you block the virus and you don't wait, the antibody will be formed because the problem are the antibodies of this disease. When you understand this and you start to treat them, you can save everybody. Did any of your own colleagues contact you after your arrest and say, look, Thomas, this is, we're so sorry, this should not have happened? Yes, there were some, but not many. And, and, and more people from far away, not from of my yeah. immediate surroundings. And of course, what is important in such a thing, I mean, they could not really do me any harm because I never did something unlawful and I never told something that was not 100% scientifically evidence-based. This is important. So I do not like to speculate. If you really stick to the science and if you do nothing unlawful, they cannot really harm you, even if you are alone. And, 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 now it, and, and of course, then it is important that we connect. We as doctors, but also the, the populace, of course, everybody must connect. And then we are becoming stronger. And then if one of us is attacked, we can, we can help each other. Yes, we can. We can help each other. That's what we do here every Wednesday night. Uh, folks, you know, the war against the use of safe and effective existing repurposed drugs for treating COVID is, is not just here in North America. We've seen it in Africa and in Australia, but tonight you are going to meet the two European doctors in that video. Doctors who've suffered unbelievably because they saved lives, the lives of their COVID patients with medicines that they knew worked uh, rather than pushing the new stuff. Dr. Corey is also gonna be on in a few minutes and he's gonna tell you about the latest attack against him and other US physicians who are in the same specialty. The top-down medical authorities and governments are trashing doctors who simply do what they were taught to do. That is, first do no harm and follow the science. That is, truly follow the data, truly follow the science, not just some scientific narrative put out by a PR agency, and then put the care of patients first. Well, 
I'm Betsy Ashton. I'm the FLCCC um, Creative Director, and welcome to you. We're glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, we have four doctors, and I'm here with four nurses who are working behind the scenes to answer questions that you text into the Q&A all throughout the program. But in the meantime, our doctors are also going to come back, and they'll answer some of the questions here on the video. But First, they're going to tell you their stories. And before that, we want to give you some really good news because your favorite doctors, Paul Merrick, Pierre Corey, are here. And, you know, they've updated already the post-vaccine protocol that we put together just a couple of weeks ago. They, they just continue to learn things that really work. And there are some things that are helping patients who've suffered um, adverse effects from the vaccines. So Pierre and Paul, are you ready? Come on on and give the good news. All right. Where's Paul? There's Paul. There he is. Hello. There he is. Hi guys. Um, yeah. So Paul, let's go through some slides. We'll go uh, over the updates that you've been busily uh, working on this week. Okay. Well, why do we do that quickly? And then after that, we have two exciting guests who are eager to speak with us. Sure. So, you know, as we said in the beginning, this is that was, you know, uh, protocol was a starting place. It's going to be updated, revised as we go along. We get feedback from hundreds of people. Um, so, this is a, a process that's in motion and in progress. So, we have a, a few new additions. Um, we're going to talk about non invasive brain stimulation. We added yoga just to keep Christina happy. Uh, we're going to talk about whole body vibration therapy. A lot of people are talking about dandelion extract. I mean, it's never ending. So we're going to talk about dandelions. And more important, we're going to talk a little bit about depression because I think that's a really important issue. So what is non-invasive brain stimulation? Actually, it seems to be very interesting. So as you can see, um, there are a number of ways of doing it with low current electrical current or, or alternating magnetism. This is a safe and painless technique. Uh, it's been demonstrated in really good scientific studies to improve cognitive function in patients with long COVID and neurological disease. Um, it's FDA approved for the indication of depression, anxiety, and insomnia. It's often used in a, a post-stroke, post-head um, trauma, developmental issues. So this is a recognized intervention. It's offered by many physical and rehabilitation centers. It's very easy to do. It's safe, it's painless. But most interesting, you can do this at home. You can buy these little devices which allow you to do this at home. It takes about 20 minutes and it seems to be um, have quite remarkable effects. We added some yoga just because obviously it has yoga has important functions on the immune system, maybe beneficial in the vaccine injured patient who often suffer from exertional fatigue and should be added to um, a generalized program. Something that Pierre and I stumbled upon is something called low magnitude, high frequency mechanical stimulation. So basically what the person does is stand on this device, much like a scale and using low magnitude, high frequency waves, it causes this vibration. 
uh, it's kind of interesting. There, there are a whole bunch of studies that have been that have been published. There's a lot of literature on this. It seems to generate it's very good for bone density, but improves well-being. It seems to have an effect on small fiber neuropathy. And much like the whole brain non-invasive therapy, it's this is also offered at many physical medicine and rehab centers so that if people can't afford to buy this, they can go to a physical uh, rehab center and they can get it done there. And alternatively, they can buy a device to use at home. So dandelion, we hear such a lot about dandelion. So it seems to be an extract that is quite commonly used in Europe, any inflammatory, any oxidant, uh, antimicrobial properties. There is one study which suggests that it may interfere with the binding of SARS-CoV-2 to the ACE receptor, but it's not clear that dandelion actually binds to the spike protein. So it's often included in a so-called detoxifying protocol, but the data is yet still forthcoming that it actually binds to spike. Then depression. So this is a really serious problem for both long COVID and post-vaccine patients. It seems that people who on SSRIs or a predisposition that um, COVID makes this significantly worse. Um, we don't longer we don't no longer recommend long-term SSRIs in actually looking at the data on its efficacy and side effects. Um, these medications are, are pretty are pretty dangerous. However, short-term fluvoxamine may have a role. What's interesting is there is a really strong association between zinc deficiency and depression. And that if you add zinc to a regimen, it actually has a significant effect on, on improving depression. And it seems like COVID and the spike in long COVID tend to decrease zinc levels. Interesting, as I mentioned, non-invasive brain stimulation is actually FDA approved um, for the treatment of depression, uh, nigella sativa, and then probiotics, because there seems to be a really interesting gut-brain interaction. And that changing your flora can actually have quite an effect on your emotional well-being. Um, while not that life-threatening, alopecia appears to be a common problem in long COVID and uh, in the vaccine injured. So we have added a section of, on alopecia to the protocol. Um, interesting data on the use of a certain topical minoxidil min uh, um, uh, and for the treatment of alopecia. Uh, in terms of herpes reactivation, we've added spironolactone, zinc, and quercetin to the protocol. So th those are the updates um, in a nutshell. Uh, if needs be, we can talk about it later, but the updated protocol should be now on the, on the website, thanks to Zara and her team. Well done, they're so efficient. Hey, Paul, I want to add one thing, you know, on the um, high impact, um, you know, low amplitude, high frequency stimulation to bone, it, it, it not only helps build bone, but it, you know, one of the reasons why we think it's helpful in long haul and post facts is that it stimulates the bone marrow, right? And we keep talking about, you know, this dysregulated immune system. And so we do think that it has a role in 
in sort of uh, invigorating or stimulating the bone marrow, where, which is where or less stem cells, immune cells, red cells, white cells. And so, uh, you know, th- I think that's the physiology more than, than the bone that, that, that we think might be important here. Yeah, as you say, it seems to release stem cells from the bone marrow, which obviously is important for organ uh, regeneration. Yep. Uh, and in patients with chronic fatigue and chronic syndromes, rheumatoid arthritis, it seems to improve their level of functioning, less fatigue, they feel better, more energized. Yeah. So with that little little update, so you know, folks can go to the website and see the updated protocol. Do you want to introduce Pierre, our two guests? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, bring them on, Livia. Where's uh, Thomas and Andrea? Oh, there we go. Great. Excellent. Andrea, we, we met in Paris, and I'm glad you're uh, joining us again. And Thomas, uh, thank, thanks also. And, you know, I don't really know where to start, but I, I'll just say this. You know, when I was in Paris and, and I got to talk to all the doctors there and hearing their journeys, their challenges, their fights, I mean, it was identical to what we've faced here in the United States. And then, you know, the persecution, you know, your stories are, are actually... Well, I don't, I don't even know whose is better or worse. I mean, I think you guys are, are really just terrible examples of what can happen to doctors fighting for truth in, I hate to overstate it, but in, in a sea of lies. Um, but, you know, if, if you know anything about Paul and I, I mean, um, I had to leave, well, I left, uh, I resigned from one job, I had to leave another one mutually, and I was fired for the third for a completely invented accusation. Paul's career ended. Uh, his hospital got rid of him. And so our careers have been destroyed. I'm still able to practice medicine. Um, but, you know, trying to be, you know, it seems like trying to put out good information, evidence-based that are to help people, if it goes against what they want you to tell someone, they'll come after you. And so anyway, I, I'm going to start. Andre, can you um, introduce yourself, your background, and then, and then, I, we want to hear your stories, but introduce yourself, and then I'll have Thomas introduce himself. Uh, thank you, Pierre. Thank you, everybody. And good evening to everybody. Thank you for listening to me and to inviting me. Well, I can say that uh, Italy was the first country, of, of West country, was, that was uh, hit by COVID. Yep. So, so at the beginning, on the very first beginning, of the pandemic, I, I had a friend, a colleague, who was a physician that has his father who was dying with, uh, with oxygen. And so he asked me what to do. I, I came, I came to his house, I, I went to his house and I tried with something very well-known uh, drugs like anti-inflammatory, antibiotics and hydroxychloroquine. Why? Because I, I read something about, uh, about hydroxychloroquine written by Dr. Fauci uh, <laughs> about SARS. He said yeah. in 2015, uh, as, uh, if I don't remember, maybe it was 2012. But anyway, he wrote uh, hydroxychloroquine works very well with SARS. And so I suppose the next pandemic will be the game changer. So I tried. <laughs> and after three days, this guy 
who was 96 years old with oxygen. And uh, when I saw him, I thought he will not pass the night. It was the vegetal. After three days, he was already eating and uh, stopping oxygen. And after five days, we, are, we were in lockdown. Uh, we are talking about March, the beginning of March 2020. We were in lockdown in Italy from 7th of March. And he was with his jacket, his tie, walking uh, in, the, in the living room and uh, protesting by, uh, to, your, to his uh, son because he, didn't, he was not allowed to go to the park for a walk. Mm. I said, why you don't let me go for a, for a walk? Well, after that, I, I treated at least 6,000 patients, I, I suppose more. Uh, 1,000 of them going, outpatients of course, going to their home, visiting them, touching them. And uh, after that, I also went to, to treat inpatients in a COVID hospital. I was for three months head of a COVID hospital. And we saved everybody. No one died. No one. We had 45 patients. There were around 80 media, 80 years old, all with oxygen. And we saved them all. Andrea, Andrea, were you using steroids at the time before, like corticosteroids, before they said you could? Yes, absolutely, yes. Because we understood, me and other colleagues like you, uh, I had many Zoom with colleagues, physicians all, all over the world. I was asking, because, you know, in my, my profession is to be a dentist. I'm also a medical doctor, but I was practicing a dent, uh, like, uh, as a dentist because uh, my, my the focus was on TMJ and all the... Oh problems of the TMJ. So uh, I started to be a physician in those days. And so I asked, I asked to pneumologists, I asked to uh, uh, infection disease a physician, uh, I asked to anybody to, to have, to, 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 to drink their, their uh, knowledge. Uh, knowledge, yes, exactly, thank you. So uh, I, when we understood and I understood in the first two weeks that we had two problems. First, it was a, a, a respiratory virus disease, but any, anybody of them had diarrhea, had uh, intestinal problems. So we understood suddenly that the problem was that the virus was replicating, replicating and making a tank uh, to, to give lung COVID inside uh, mm -hmm. in the intestinal in sure. side. Uh, second thing, we understood that uh, after two weeks of symptoms, people uh, not treated went in the cytokine storms. Cytokine storms, of course, it's an inflammatory state done by the antibodies there were produced. 
So we understood the problem was not only the virus, but the problem was the answer to the virus. Yeah, the response. The immune sure. response. Sure. So we understood that cortisol was essential, like antibiotics was essential, to uh, modulate the antibody's response. So uh, we started, yes, after two weeks of treating, healing people, we understood that we should use anti-inflammatory, um, of course, uh, uh, antibiotics, cortison, and after three weeks from the beginning, uh, an anatomopathologist of Bergamo, Bergamo was the town more heated by COVID. Yeah, I, I remember that, when Italy was getting hit. I, I mean, we yeah. were watching Italy and, from over yeah, here. It and, was and, terrible. Yeah. And this hero, this guy, this, this colleague, uh, went against the protocols, the guidelines that said that you couldn't do swap to people that was not coming from China. Can mm. you believe it? And, but this guy went against protocols that said that was forbidden, can you imagine in medicine, forbidden to make autopsy because it was too dangerous. I mean, it's a a uh, respiratory virus. So a, a dead man cannot, uh, connect, uh, cannot uh, give you the, the disease, of course, right. because the virus will, will die. Okay, this, this uh, hero made his autopsy in the Bergamo hospital. He understood that was plenty of microtrombs, of, uh, you know, thrombosis. Yeah. Yeah. So we started to give heparin to prevent the thrombosis that will come after the cytokine storm. I, I, anyway, was waiting, I, I, I was waiting for you to say anticoagulation because, Andre, yeah. your, your story is the same thing of, of me and Paul. I mean, when I started to see the hospital patients, they were so hyperinflamed and they were clotting like I've never seen before. I mean, you, you, the, the nurses would draw blood and the tubes would clot. The dialysis machines were clotting. And so when I tried to say, we need to put these patients on blood thinners, we got attacked. You're right. Absolutely right. And the thing that we don't have to forget, that we will see in a patient that is not correctly treated, treated uh, we will see clots, of course, in the, in the pneumonia, in the lung. Why? Because we see the saturation that after two hours drops from 10%, 8%, immediately, suddenly. Yep. So we, we know that he has clots in his lung, but do not forget that clots will come in every organ, in the brain, in the heart. Yep. That's why they, they die. Anyway, I, I want to short my story. Uh, I treated, as I said to you, more than 6,000 people. I didn't follow the guidelines from Ministry of Health, from IFA, that is like uh, FDA in America. But the thing is that we have an authority, a physician authority that is uh, driven, driven sorry, from the Ministry of Health that decides not only the guidelines, but decide if a physician is a good physician or not. Yeah. So after, after treated 6,000 patients, I had four deaths. 
and they were with three of them were with metastasis, pneumonary metastasis. Uh, they were all over, uh, all uh, aged over 90 years old with co-pathology. And they didn't come to ask my help uh, before three weeks of the, of the search symptoms. Okay, uh, my, their authority, Italian authority, suspended me for one year, 12 months. Why? Because first, I didn't follow the guidelines, the authority guidelines. Second, because the, the drugs I gave to the, to the patient was potentially, I subline this word, potentially, they could give side effects to the patient. I didn't have one severe side effect, no one with 6,000 patients. So wait, Andrea, really Andrea, wait, wait. So Andrea, when you, when they took your license, so they're telling you you can't practice for one year. Did they use the four patients who died as the reason? No, or they were no, just saying because no. of the medicines you were using? Exactly, because of the second one, because of the medicine. And listen, I, I was given anti-inflammatory, uh, antibiotics, cortisone, and heparin. But of course, at the beginning, I was giving also hydroxychloroquine. Uh, with, uh, with severe patient, I gave them ivermectin and others drugs. But uh, one thing that I'm sure of, I, I know very well your, your guidelines and I appreciate them. Uh, I don't give any more ivermectin. I don't give any more hydroxychloroquine. I don't give quercetin, lactoferrin, zinc, uh, vitamin D. All of them are very important. They help patients. My dad, I didn't want to go too far from the guidelines. So I said, I will use only normal uh, drugs that we use normally for other disease that we have been decades of, we, we know them very well. Uh, and I'm sure that we can treat and heal anybody without the other powerful drugs that I mentioned. It's enough, anti-inflammatory antibiotics. Oh, of course, I give them uh, uh, lactobacteria, Okay. How do you call it? Yeah. Probi probiotics. Yeah, yeah. like the Yeah. Yeah. We have one probiotics in Italy that you don't have in the United States and you don't have in Canada because I treated also people in Canada and, and in the United States. Uh, that is antibiotic resistance. So I give it them uh, during the antibiotic therapy. Then I give the other probiotics. Okay. Anyway, uh, now, of course, I made a court. Uh, in, in opposition to this decision, so I, I can still work, and I'm still. I mean, uh, I'm continuing uh, treating. Wait, so wait, Andrea, Andrea, day. you can still see patients. You yeah. just can't use like the medicines on our protocol. Yeah, you have to figure out how to treat them some other way. Exactly. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, uh, I'm lucky because we have three grades of, of justice. The first one is the uh, physician authority that you don't have in the United States. You have AMA, uh, but we don't have a syndicate. We have also syndicates. This is an authority that comes from the 
government. Mm-hmm. And second, second grade, it's a commission, a central commission that sounds like United, uh, sorry, uh, Soviet Union uh, right. commission because uh, that will uh, judge me in the second grade. And you know why? And yeah, I mean, you know what? Uh, the members of the commission are nominated from Prime Minister Mario Draghi and from Ministry of Health Speranza. So, of course, I will be condemned in the second, in the second grade. The third grade is Cassazione, uh, like your, uh, uh, you, you know, the high court. That the high court, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Supreme Court, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Supreme Court. But I want to tell you another story. I take one minute. I, I, told, uh, I told you about him in Paris at the International COVID Summit, Dr. De Donno. He was really a hero. He was a uh, pneumologist, head of a hospital in a country town in Italy. And as, as me, as me, because I, I thought the same thing, because we had this, the Spanish uh, flu uh, 100 years ago after World War I. And he said, let's try with hyperimmune plasma because we, mm-hmm. we, we won with the Spanish flu. So it treated people that was already in intensive care unit and it treated six, uh, sorry, 66 uh, patients and he saved all of them. He asked to the ministry to have the a protocol, to have the permission to, commit, to make this experiment, experimental uh, treatment. And they said, okay, you can do this, you have to say, follow these guidelines or whatever. But uh, one day he had a, a pregnant woman. She was a very, very severe COVID. She was, she was dying and she had a baby inside uh-huh. her. So he decided to go against the protocols and he gave her uh, hyperimmune plasma. He saved both. And after three days, after three days, military police no. sent by the government went to his hospital. I can tell you that even to my office came military police sent by the government. They didn't find anything bad, but they came. They sent and police. Dr. De Dono, Dr. De Dono, sorry, let me finish. Yeah. Dr. De Dono. Uh, resigned from the hospital. He said, okay, I will treat people privately. After two weeks, they found him dead in his home. Yeah. With a rope around his neck. This is Italy, my friends. I I don't know what to say about that, uh, Andrea, but, you know, your story... I mean, it's it's similar to, to you know, as, as you know, Andre, you've talked to people around the world. We were in Paris. We know our Canadian colleagues, our and Australian colleagues yeah. and, you know, everywhere in France and, and even in Belgium. And, you know, it's it's I don't know why it's this distinct minority. We, we, we don't care about the rules and regulations. We focus on the patient. We try to learn what we can. We share our knowledge and then we treat. And then by doing that in this pandemic. It's 
we're, we're breaking some sort of law. And it, there, there's never been those kind of laws before. Our, the, the only laws that guided us was putting our patient as our primary consideration. And so I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, everything you've been through. I'm sorry, everything, everything we've been through. But, you know, Thomas, I, I want to. Before we get you know, it, Thomas, I, Andrea, I mean, it's yeah. a terrible story you tell us. And, you know, terrible loss. I see some people are asking, so did, did he uh, take his own life or was this some foul play? No, he took his own life. He took his own uh, life. We, we don't know. Uh, he had a rope uh, around his neck. Uh, how do you call it in English? When, yeah, when you, yeah, yeah, you hang exactly. yourself. Yeah. We will never know. We will never know if it were secret service or if he did it. Anyway, if he did it, anyway, he was destroyed. You imagine his career destroyed. Yeah. Uh, uh, to put on, on the newspaper like an assassin. He saved people. That's terrible. I, I can tell you what, when I was suspended uh, 10 days ago, maybe 15 days ago, I had, uh, uh, not like the colleague, I had hundreds of messages of call, telephone call by physician, by colleagues. So I, I hope that people with uh, critical mind still exist. Why they still, they, they begin to understand. Because yeah. if the message that you, me, and the other colleagues that are here can treat and heal COVID, that's it. If you treat it from the beginning, it's a normal disease and you can save anybody. So the, this building of fake things that needs vaccines, and I'm not talking about the negative cure that we saw in Italy after the four dose, and you see Nature and Lancet brought uh, something about it. So we have a negative uh, immune system that is worse uh, against the vice, the not vaccinated people. Uh, I don't talk about side effect, death, and you know, mm, Andrea, we, we we are you, you, we we get me, it, yes. we get it. But the, the vaccines are are uh, the basic these this cartel of people, whoever they are. Do doesn't do not want to accept the fact that that early treatment saves lives. They basically do not want this idea that COVID is a treatable yeah. disease exactly. to be understood. What they want exactly. is it's it's part of the plan and the ploy to force people to be vaccinated. Yeah, the, they want panic, panic. They still say let's now uh, because we, we said. Uh, when the vaccine were out, where were I mean, were in, in, in industry, we said, listen, these vaccines are made on one virus, 19, uh, 20, sorry, 2019. Yeah. Virus change. It's an RNA virus. It's like you got a cold. If Even if you got a cold one month ago, you can get it again. I, I we mean, don't I, have, we, we never been, had a vaccine. I've been saying that against. from the beginning. Yeah, we we exactly. keep vaccinating against the virus okay. that's ancient. And then came the lambda, the delta, and then the omicron. And you know what? Now, because Pfizer is producing 
for uh, this fall. The uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh dose, the three dose against Omicron, they didn't change the letter of the Greek alphabet. Yeah. They still call it Omicron, B205. I mean, the virus has changed. Listen, so we, if, we, we all agree on say, that. You're right, doctor. Thank you. You saved life. Tell us how to save a life. Tell us how to tell to physician how to treat. And the, and the uh, pandemia is finished. No. If they say it's true, he saved some lives, this means no more panic, no more vaccine, no more money, no more power. We, we get it. And that's what we're all fighting around the world. And your story is uh, I know, as, I know as disturbing and, as, as, and you also have our admiration for being one of those voices. And, and I know you're a big voice in Italy and, and you, you've been um, you know, uh, a really important part of, of those conferences, the international COVID summits that we've been trying to get a good message out. And so I, I appreciate your story and everything you've done. Um, so Thomas, you know, I told, I, you know, I sort of talked about what's happened to me and Paul. <laughs> Andrea, you know, just was told he can't uh, treat patients as he wants to. Your story, you know, give us your background and then tell us what happened to you in COVID because you're one of us. You're one of us. I know it. Thank you, Pierre, for having invited me. Thank you all guys for the great work you do. I really appreciate this. Well, I studied medicine in Zurich. I wrote my thesis in immunology and virology, then decided not to go into research, but into clinical medicine. I specialized in internal medicine and then in cardiology. I worked for 10 years in hospitals, also in ICUs, of course, and for 24 years now in my private cardiolog cardiological practice in near Zurich in Switzerland. Well, Although Switzerland is close to Northern Italy, when Andrea had to start to treat patients, I had some free time. I was sitting in February 2020, I was sitting in a half empty practice that was ordered to be half empty because the government uh, ordered that we could only see emergency patients to be ready for the tsunami that was said to arrive, but never arrived, of course. And so I had some free time and I had some time to think. And when I have time to think, obviously I'm becoming dangerous. Uh, well, from the start, I, I realized that this whole prevailing Corona narrative is utter unscientific nonsense from A, like no epidemiologically relevant asymptomatic transmission to say like zero COVID is, is an uh, intellectual absurdity. I mean, what every doctor should have realized immediately, even if he had no idea about epidemiology, infectiology, virology, PCR tests, and so on and so forth, was the wrong indication to test. Namely, not only the very sick hospitalized patients that we, whom we have to treat specifically, so that we have to know the causative term, but also less sick patients and even asymptomatic, formerly called healthy people. I mean, this is utter unscientific nonsense. Yeah. So as I had time and I did not have to treat patients at that time, I saw it as my duty as a doctor to inform the public about this medical condition of the whole society in the way that, that the people may once informed, decide 
how to handle this. So I, I, I explained uh, this nonsense narrative. Uh, I sent it uh, via email to colleagues, fellow doctors, journalists I knew, politicians I knew, and I did not get any answer. Even not an answer like, hey, Thomas, you are crazy so, or something. So like Thomas, you started with emails to important yeah. people that yeah. you were hoping to educate. Because yeah. we, we went, we went through that phase as well. Paul yeah. sent a sure. lot of emails. Yeah. Sure, yeah, sure. Well, I, I thought, yeah, this, this, I mean, this narrative is that easy to understand. I mean, I always say you need three not washed connected brain cells to understand it. <laughs> uh, so, so I thought, yeah, well, I mean, I, I cannot be the only doctor in Switzerland. I was the first doctor in Switzerland to inform the public who went public. I, I, I could not believe that I'm the only doctor who does this. I thought, yeah, well, okay, I do it now. And in, in a week or so, my fellow doctors will follow. In, in the two weeks, this whole corona narrative will, will have uh, crashed. But, uh, well, then I wrote blogs. I started to write blogs because I, I yeah. could not reach uh, journalists to write articles in, in, in the mainstream media or give interviews in mainstream media. I started to write blogs and post in social media. And uh, on, East, on the first day before Easter, I wrote one of these blogs that was clicked about 20,000 times in a day. So I thought, oh, well, well now, now this... Uh, Enlightenment is spreading exponentially like a virus. Huh? And, yeah. and uh, okay, I can go on holiday and when I come back, this, uh, this will be over. But well, it came different. Um, uh, I wanted to go on holiday with my wife for a week, uh, beginning starting Easter Sunday, 2020. So in the evening of uh, Saturday evening, I was still in my practice to do some final work. I guess you fellow doctors understand that there, there, there are things that cannot wait for a week or so. Sure. And then at 10 o'clock, I was brutally arrested in my practice by an anti-terrorist squad. At 60 10 p.m.? 10 p.m. on a Saturday at night? 10 p.m. Easter Saturday night. They came into your office? They came into, well, they called me. I had to go out and they arrested me. This was a anti-terrorist unit, so about the 20 handcuffs? guys with the machine guns and all these, yeah, of course, handcuffs. They stroked my head on the floor and it was really brutally, although they, they saw that I was not wearing Kalashnikovs or something like this. And I, mean, I must stress that it was not the government that came directly after me. A quite well, a, a good acquaintance of mine uh, wrote, uh, read my emails, my blogs, and in these, in, in these blocks, he saw threats. He projected threats against the public and against the government and so on and so forth. So he thought you were dangerous. He thought, exactly. He thought I'm dangerous. So he called another good acquaintance of mine, actually the prime minister of the canton Argau, of the, the, the province or the, the state in Switzerland where I live, and at the phone, they decided, yes, I, I am a threat to the society, to politicians. There was the allegation that I was armed and uh, that I had a psychiatric history. All, all this was wrong. All this so, was invented, that you had a gun oh, and that you, that, that you were crazy. Yeah, my, or my had gun, a history of being crazy. 
I, I had no history. I have no psychiatric history. I, my gun was my weapon I got in 1980 when I joined the Swiss army. And in Switzerland, when you leave the army, this was about 15 years ago, it's normal that you store it at home. You keep it at home. This is completely sure. legal. And it was stored at home for 15 years without ammunition. Without ammunition, it was there where I told the police they can find it. Well, then after an hour, or so they realized, oh, there is no threat. They went through all my all the stuff I wrote. They, they, they saw no threat. I mean, I was only a threat to the worldview of, of these yeah. corona insane people, of course. So they sent an emergency doctor to me. And you must imagine already in April 2020, she wore such a hardcore FFP2 mask and he was panicked by the virus. She said, put on the mask, put on the mask, the virus, the virus. So this colleague had to check my mental status <laughs> and well the, the first question was what is the date i said april 11th 2020 the third question was what is the year <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> well, it was not very intelligent but i it was my my kind of silent resistance i answered 1984 oh. and maybe, <laughs> oh. maybe Maybe this was a mistake and it continued like this. I told the dear colleague. <laughs> Wait, dear can, colleague, can I just give you a, a round of applause? You said yeah. 1984? You literally yeah. said that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm a cardiologist. It started, she, she, she took my pulse, it was 110. And she said, Oh, you have atrial fibrillation. And I answered, No, I do not have atrial fibrillation. I was just arrested by an anti terrorist squad. And now you, you incompetent colleague, are examining or checking my mental status. This makes my talking tachycardian. So, I mean, it was really a joke. And I explained to her the nonsense narrative. I also told her, Hey, look, Anthony, Dr. Anthony Fossey himself wrote in an editorial of the New England Journal of Medicine under the title Navigating the Uncharted, published on February 28, 2020, after some blah, blah, blah. Highly likely this virus is not more dangerous than influenza. This, this was written by Anthony Foss himself in the New England Journal of Medicine on February 28, 2020. Well, she didn't even listen to me. So she decided I must be corona insane. There was the written, invented diagnosis, corona insanity. And of course, to be insane is not enough for involuntary commitment. So you must be either dangerous to others or self-endangering. So she invented that I am self-endangering, although a few days before in Twitter and Facebook, I posted, I'm 50-year-old, sporty, in good health, no medication, and would never, ever commit suicide in my life. Just as an insurance, I mean, we know, uh, Andrea also told, I mean, some people might, might be suicided. So I realized that when I go public, there is some risk. So then I was put into closed psychiatry for, 30, for the 36. So, the so wait, hold 36. on. So, wait, Thomas. So the doctor came, the, the, the police got you, they brought a doctor. Were you examined like outside your house still, or where were you at this point? Yes. Well, I, 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 or I, outside I, the practice. I came to the police post and then to, to, uh, to prison. But then after an hour, they realized there was no threat. So they could not even issue an arrest warrant. So they decided they must do something else. And so they wanted to depict me as insane. So they declared me insane. And the first 36 hours I spent in a padded cell. In a padded cell? After these, 
only after this 36, well, it's, it's isolation, total isolation. I had no contact. I didn't know what's happening. They didn't tell me what I did, what I did wrong. Uh, only after, after 36 hours, there was the first interrogation where I saw my lawyer and where, where they told me what, what's going on. And then, of course, I appealed against this uh, whole thing. And after six days, I could leave. The problem is that then a psychiatrist diagnosed mania. So, well, maybe I was a little bit of a hyperactive enlightener because, of course, well, I, I thought, uh, as you also, I just have to spread this information and in a week or we, so... We're the same. Be over. So hey, hold I on, Thomas, course. Thomas. I will tell you that I, I think I did have a sort of mania in the beginning because I, I knew we had to solve this. I knew we had to fix this. People were getting sick. Yeah. They were dying. Yeah. I was... It was reading, I was on the phone. I was doing tons of things. It was our duty as doctors. If we had not done this, we could not have looked into the mirror again. It, we, we, we had no choice. We just had to do it. And we knew it from day one that, that this is our duty. And, and uh, well, then, of, then he diagnosed mania. And then I had the choice. Either you stay in the hospital now, in the in psychiatric hospital, for six weeks to treat this mania. And you can't work, you stay here, or you can go home and, and work again, but you must then you must take a neuroleptic. So I, so had to I was eat. about to ask you that. Don't so tell I had me to eat. I had to eat a I had to eat a bilify, and that was checked. Whether I took it or not was checked by a blood level examination once weekly. And well, of course, I didn't like it, but I, the other, I only had these two choices. The other choice would have been to stay there for six weeks. So I did this. Well, of course, I know the pharmacokinetics of Abilify. I knew when I had to. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I don't know who's watching here. I get <laughs> and, it. It's okay. After, You're in good after three, after three weeks, I checked my liver enzymes, and I was, I was grateful to my liver that they were elevated about four times so I could stop it and uh, I could give it up. And then I could also free myself from this uh, uh, government psychiatry in, in, in my province and change to a private psychiatrist that the medical authorities ordered me to, to visit once per month to, to, to keep my license. Um, and, and she, of course, she realized that I had no no psychiatric problem. And I mean, in these sessions, I could inform her about Corona and then she learned a lot about Corona. <laughs> so you, you taught your psychiatrist all about coronavirus. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. That's a yeah, nice sure. end to that sure. part yeah, of it. And really, I mean, she, she changed the side during this uh, almost good. a year. Good, good, good for yeah. you. Well, so this so is what my happened story. after that, though, Thomas? Were you able to go back to your practice and help patients or yeah, they of didn't course, let you first. practice? Of course, the first day, I, I never did something unlawful. I never told anything that was not 100% scientifically evidence-based, so they do not, could not really harm me. So I, after the day after, after I, I was free there, I, I restarted to work in my practice until, until today. So I, I continue, of course. I, I'm working in my medical practice as a cardiologist, and... Uh, of course, I continued the informator inform the public. Uh, I networked, of course. We invented a, a Swiss uh, 
network of doctors and scientists that has about yeah. 700 members. It has about 700 members under the name Aletheia. Aletheia is the, is the name of the Greek goddess of truth. I'm a member of Doctors for COVID Ethics around Sucharit Bhakti, Professor Emeritus of Germany. We have become great friends now. We are in the core, core of this group. I'm a, I'm a member of a German group as well. Uh, and and I was in in this in the group of these two, 22 life scientists who wrote the Carmen Drosten review report. I guess you know this. We published yes. it in November 2020, around Peter Borger. I I'm not a PCR crack, of course. I understand it, of course. I know it's what it can, what it can't. I, I was there rather as a specialist for the wrong indication to test that. Uh, that, that appeared mainly in the appendix in section E. So, of course, nowadays we are networked and it is much more difficult for them to destroy us now. I mean, there yes, is a sir. public outcry. One, one colleague of, of, our, of our network, Kalitea in Switzerland, a psychiatrist who, who gave medical, ma medical attest certificates that for people that they do not have to wear masks, mainly for children. And she did not see these patients. She did it by email. Was uh, was arrested also by by police uh, yesterday. But she was mainly the practice was searched, and uh, she's she's free now again. But uh, still, they they try to do it. So they this gave her, they, this they, gave a huge outcry in Switzerland, of course. They they didn't throw her in the uh, in, in the mental hospital. At least. Uh, yeah, I think Andrea wants to. Yeah, Andrea, what, what did you want to say? Just a few words to Thomas that, uh, well, I, I'm really at your side. And uh, I can tell you that I, I thought that my, his, my story was a, came out from a, a book of Franz Kafka, the, you know, the trial of Franz Kafka. Of course. But your, your words. And I can tell you that uh, I studied near Zurich in Institute Montana at Zuckerberg. So I know very well who, how do they think and how police will come to your house or to your topic to take it. We are living in fascist countries. And if we don't uh, let people to open the minds, to, to make critical minds, uh, we will not any more future for our children and for our nephew. 100%. We should all together be together and fight and fight. And we're gonna win. So Andre, what I want to say out. what I want to say, you and Thomas, is that we have all found a network of colleagues. We've all built organizations that we are helping lead. And, you know, I don't want to say everyone's like the FLCCC, but there are many organizations similar to the So the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, groups in Australia and Italy and France and, and, and in Switzerland, we all get it. And it, it did become fascist overnight. And, and what's great is that we all kind of interact. That's why the, the International COVID Summits, it, it's been um, as, as difficult as it's been and as sad as it's been and how many people have died unnecessarily and will continue to die. It's also, and I don't focus on this a lot, but it's also been one of the most stimulating and, and sort of inspiring times because I've found friends and colleagues that, that 
live like I do, believe like I do, fight like I do. And, and, and you guys are, you know, you guys are two brothers in that fight. And, you know, and, and yeah, Tess so, Laurie in the UK and everyone, it's, I, I just appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I we, we all, oh, sorry. Sorry, I think it's been a unifying experience where people who want to do good and do the right thing and speak the truth basically become unified to fight this evil force that we're dealing with. There's, there's no question. It's a pervasive worldwide evil force. It's pure evil. And I think there are people who have had the integrity and the honesty to, to do the right thing. I think yeah. basically you've got to do the right thing and stand up. I fully, I fully agree with you. I mean, we all lost our wrong friends, of course, and are happy to have lost them, but gained a, a great many of new friends. And, and if, if we meet each other in person, we immediately are on the same wavelength. We understand each other because we are empathetic people uh, that, that believe in, in truth, in reality. While, while the other side is in the virtual reality, is living in Plato's cave, uh, where, where the mass media project the virtual reality on, on the wall or on a huge flat screen. And, and we have to show them the way out of this Plato's cave. And I mean, the, the, we have, humanity has always been uh, controlled by a bunch of psychopaths. Yeah. And yeah, this, this was ever the case. This was always the case. And, but and, for the first time, for the first time in humanity, they have the technical technical means to totally control us. And that's but what I wanted to also, say, Thomas. But for the, at the same time, for the first time, the empathetic humanity is connected in such a great way like never before. We, they, they, for the first time, they have a really, really strong opponent. This is us. This is millions of us. We are theoretically, we are 98% and they are only a fraction of the 2% psychopaths. And, and they are, these guys are inflated with nothing but lukewarm air, which have just to punch it and it makes... Well, it, it well, is all show. They are comments. They, they are they are showmen. I, I get so you know. I just, I just want to say one thing to you, and then I'm going to ask Andrea. But what you say is so correct. You know this virtual reality that you said. The the people that control the media, it's 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 a war of information, and they're creating. It, it's really a, a story made out of lies, and and the truth tellers, like you said, you know what's interesting is although they do have the technology and the power. Look at what we're doing right now. There's four of us, one in Italy, one in Switzerland, and we're able to speak to a lot of people. We're also able to connect and fight back in ways that we couldn't have uh, years ago. And so, you know, we're really fighting a war of information. We're just trying to put out good, honest, common sense, pragmatic, evidence-based, data-driven guidance. That's all we've ever tried to do, all four of us. And and we're going to continue to do that. Um, Andre, yeah. 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 Maybe Betsy has a few questions. I do. Andrea, want to say one this. more thing and then we'll go to questions. Just one question. One, one thing. Uh, Pierre, I know that uh, FLCCC is already uh, you, uh, with the Hippocrate.org. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, in Italy. And I have... Uh, I created an association that is called COVID Healer, that I, it's that I made to make an appliance, an app to treat COVID 
to, to let uh, patients know where the, the physicians are and to, to con connect with them. Oh. And also to help physicians to treat, because that was my problem. Last August, I had 500 patients all together in the same days. So it was very difficult to, to check all the, the list and yeah. the messages. And so I made this app and it's very easy because it's the app that advised me, made me, send me an alert, watch out the saturation of John Smith is dropping down uh, suddenly. So uh, I will ask you, because I think that we should join one each other like only one man and only one mind, all together, we have to fight together. So I, I, I'll ask you if I, a COVID healer can come and join FLCCC, because we Absolutely. need we need a, a, a unique uh, um, a unique uh, fight, because Absolutely. our fight is all over. You know, we, we have to be together, so we'll help support, exactly. no, no exactly. worries. And last if, thing, if I may add, last I'm, thing, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm grateful to your work as well, and I will endorse it. So our Swiss network will endorse our guidelines. Also, Doctors for COVID will endorse it. I will write two pieces in German and English La to this theme because it is important that we work together at the same mm -hmm. in the same guidelines and we exchange our experience. It is not a Absolutely. good idea if each and every doctor does something on his own, that, then there we, will never, we can never accumulate uh, the wisdom we need to the knowledge we need. To last have. thing. So I, I really would like endorse to say. this. Thanks, Thomas. Sorry. La last things I would like to say. Uh, all the patients that are more than 5,000 5,000 patients that I treated and healed in telemedicine, I never asked them one penny, one cent. I treated for free because it was our duty to help people. It's an emergency. We have to help people. And I saw, I saw, I said, I'm a doctor, I have to do. Betsy, do you have some questions for I us? do. I have a lot, and I know, and it's late for you guys, so we, we want to not well, stay up all night questions. here. It's, but, it's but 2 a.m. here, so please, guys. Uh, yeah. All right. There is no problem. Only questions for Andre or Thomas. Uh, well, this is something for all of you, and it's from Steve Wallerstein here, who says, where does the harassment and intimidation of doctors and nurses emanate from? Does Pfizer have a private army to do their bidding? Do they use private mercenaries? Exactly who runs this mission? Well, I have a thought on that. I think that the main agencies in the government are controlled by pharma, but the kind of oppression that we see, like, for instance, what happened to Paul at his hospital, what happened to me at my hospital, they're, they're kind of mini tyrants who like to enforce rules and, and, and use their power. They're, they're not paid with money. They do this out of some sort of, I, I think they just, they need to be right and they need to be superior and they need to put anyone down who's doing something that's different. And so I think there's a few ways that power gets exerted. Thomas. I usually explain it like this. Obviously, society is divided in a way that we never had seen before. This never happens by accident. This is the, this is, this is the result 
of, of a context of the illusion that was imposed on humanity by a bunch of criminal psychopaths. And of course, everybody thinks I'm the realist and the other side is living in a cult or in a sect. And right. so in, in such a context of delusion, we have always questioned ourselves first, am I sure that I'm the realist? and not the deluded. And this question can only be answered by looking at reality as soberly as possible. So this is our duty just to, 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 to show the populace, this is the reality. You are on the right side, the others are on the wrong side. And most people are just totally brainwashed, totally deluded. Most yeah. people who collude in this are not evil. Please do not, right. maybe even, even yeah. politicians in higher ranks, sometimes they, they may not be evil. They may also <laughs> be totally brainwashed is saying by this. these people. This is really important. We, 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 we should not lead a war against them. We, we must we must fight peacefully of course and by just uh, the strength we have is we can simply confront their myths with the reality just thomas, decently calmly thomas in in a way some of them are victim victims too they're, they're tyrants but they're also victims of this propaganda and this information war go ahead betsy and the we problem is that most politicians, now. I guess, are narcissistic village idiots. Yes, that, that most, is true. They are narcissistic village idiots. And of course, they are the puppets of the, the powerful puppeteers. Yeah, yep. sorry. We have some oh, no, questions like now from people who are really interested in the medical issues. And uh, one named Betty says, is there any connection between vaccination and a new diagnosis of multiple myeloma? My brother was recently diagnosed with multiple myeloma about two months after receiving the second booster. Previously, he was very healthy. Yes, so, so yeah. let me take that here. Yeah, so there's a very strong association between the so-called vaccinations and the development of malignancy hematological malignancy, solid malignancy. So there is a very strong association between vaccination and malignancy. Obviously, it's not proof, but there's a very strong association. If I may add something, uh, when I said uh, the immune system is going negative after three doses and more after four doses, uh, I, I want to that people understand that immune system is not only against infectious system, uh, disease. It's also against one cell that in every day, maybe not every day, twice a week, let's say, in everybody that is listening now, you will have twice a week one cell that got crazy, that have mutagenism. And the system, immune system, is made also to take this with macrophages, take this cell and kill it. If the immune system is depressed more than you can ever imagine, because too many shots uh, and too close one to each other, so the immune system works only against spike and spike, antibodies, 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 cannot find, look and take and kill crazy cells that are cancer if you let them go we will have an exponential exponential number of cancers in the population that's very important to understand it's not only a question of infectious disease cancers is the risk 
of the next years. So we yeah. have to stop them. We're seeing, We're this, seeing some of the that. Doctors. Yeah. 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 Uh, Thomas Markson wants to know, what's the scoop on nitrosoxanide? It is no longer in the mask plus protocol. Is it still useful for COVID? There are papers out there saying that it's effective against pox viruses like monkeypox. Is that true? Did yes. you say Thomas Markson? That's yeah, who I so, said. Yeah, let me answer that to Tom. Yes. So yeah, you better take that one. You took it out? No, it's still in the protocol. We moved it down. So we, we just because of its availability and its expense, it's still on the protocol. That's as, very American-centric, Paul. In yes, other countries, it's not so expensive. We decided together, Pierre, this was a mutual decision. So it's on the protocol, but it's just a little bit lower down. And Tom is correct. There is in vitro data showing that it's effective against mon monkeypox. I think yes. the problem is there are too many monkeys that may not have a pox. That's our problem. Yeah, but, but I, I got to tell you, Flavio gave me a whole bunch of nitazoxanide. It's extremely expensive in the United States, but, but I, I have a lot here. Hey, Andrea, can you guys get nitazoxanide in, in Italy? Or is that no. difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. Difficult. What about in Switzerland, Thomas? I'm I'm not sure. I, I must admit I'm not a specialist for, for this. Okay, gotcha. I didn't go in, I didn't look into this, but I okay. will do of course. Let's see, you have another one. Pierre. Um, Pierre, we have David Martinez wants to know, Dr. Corey, what is that book behind you? Oh, you mean wait, you that mean one. this book? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't say! This is a oh, I must have, I must have left it out by accident. Um, right. <laughs> this is a fake book. Um, it's actually the book I am writing right now. This is just the. This is what it will look like when it's written. Um, I'm probably, I think, about a month away from writing it with uh, a good friend and a best-selling author named so Mike. Yeah, hasn't even started writing the book. That I wrote half of it, well over half of it. Paul, I just oh, got to yes. Oh yes. So now you know it's coming. It's coming. All right. Now here's a good question uh, from Robin, who wants to know: My friend was prescribed Paxlovid for COVID by his doctor. Is it appropriate to take ivermectin and/or hydroxychloroquine <laughs> in addition to Paxlovid? Yeah. So Paxlovid is 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 sprinkle magic dust that doesn't work. So it's a useless drug that was approved by the FDA because they and Pfizer are in it basically is a useless drug. It's best to put it in the toilet and flush it down. It will clean out the bugs in your toilet water. It's a waste of time. I won't add anything. But, uh, but take the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine. According I mean, ivermectin, to the first of all, the mechanism that Paxlovid works on, ivermectin does it better. And then ivermectin has many other mechanisms. That's number one. Number two, Paxlovid we know comes out of manipulated pharmaceutical sponsored trials. And number three, everyone who's taking it gets rebound symptoms. And maybe it's not everyone, but it's so common yeah, you know that everyone's recognizing it. It's I nonsense. I wouldn't even give Paxlovid to a horse. I wouldn't give it because it's completely <laughs> useless. It's not even a horse dewormer. 
It's a complete waste of time. Take M&Ms. M&Ms have more anti-coronavirus effect than Paxlovid. We need to go That's to so guys. Thomas, what did you want to say? May, may I ask you something, guys? I mean, since uh, December, I haven't seen any serious cause of COVID in Switzerland. Uh, I, I just want to ask you whether, whether it is the same uh, in Italy, in, well, in the United it, States. I mean, at least not a serious case of, of real COVID. Uh, that is not mislabeled, uh, mislabeled, not the diagnosis mislabeled. If this not, Thomas, you know what we see? We're seeing serious cases of vaccine injury. Yeah, yeah, so true. We, yeah. Flipped, we flipped from having COVID. Now we're having people that are really yeah. ill from the vaccines that they were given to prevent the disease, which they're yeah. not going to get. I, I, I yeah. will say that. I understand. Uh, it's the same everywhere. Well, here's the difference, though, Thomas. I don't know that I'm the best judge. Because none of my patients ever went to the hospital, and they're certainly not going now. I'm using a lot less medicine than I had to do before. So in December and November and October, that late phase of Delta was very difficult to treat. I was using multiple medicines. Now I, I use one or two. They get better relatively quickly, and it's not a problem. However, in the last few weeks, I had my first death. Now, admittedly, it was an 87-year-old man, multiple comorbidities, but I treated him early. I treated him early, and he died. It was my first one. And I also had a young kid who was uh, a 15-year-old who didn't get early treatment. The mother tried to treat her. She, she vomited it, but um, she got COVID pneumonia. She had to go to the hospital. And so... We are seeing some, we still see some varied severity, but overall, Omicron is milder. And now, the, the lesson I want to say is the data that's coming out now on this B4-5 variant, in the vaccinated patients, seem to be doing really poorly. I have colleagues yeah, who are seeing yeah. sick COVID patients, but they're all vaccinated. And in Portugal, they're seeing big-time hospitalizations and deaths. And that's a very yeah. highly vaccinated country. So it's it's more it's not a problem if you treat early and if you're unvaccinated but i, I worry about the vaccinated well sure what we already yeah. knew from the registration study that they are ineffective has now been proven in reality and even worse they are negative effective uh, exactly. as, as you said we can look to portugal but we can also look to israel uh, yeah. I, I said I sent you a slide. I don't know whether you whether you saw it yeah well, you can show go, us the go slide. To, hey, Livio, go to can you Euromomo. Can you bring up uh, uh, Thomas's slides real quick, just so he can talk through them? Because he has a couple of slides he wanted to show. Or maybe the other first. You want the other one? Yeah. So this is Euromomo, the European Mortality Monitoring, uh, in which also, interestingly, Israel takes part, although it is not European. And this, this shows the only hard facts. We, we, I mean, we know that the case numbers are inflated by a factor of maybe 10 or so by the Corman Ross nonsense RT-PCR test, but these, these are the only hard data. This is all cause mortality. So the uh, excess mortality, if it goes over the, the, the dotted red, red uh, line, it, there is really cause for concern. So I, 
I uh, assigned the, 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 the different time points. There's the start of the pandemic, then there was the start of the vaccination campaign, and then a huge rise in all-cause mortality. The curve went down. It, it rose again after the first booster, and the same after the second booster. I mean, of course, correlation does not prove causation. And maybe after the first and second jab, this rise could be coincidence. Well, after the first booster, it becomes difficult to explain this by coincidence. And now after the second booster, the highest excess mortality in this whole alleged pandemic, at the time where allegedly the, almost the whole country is maximally protected by this super vaccine, and that there is an, a, a variant around Omicron that is about 10 times less dangerous than the initial Wuhan and Alpha variant. I mean, sorry, but you, again, you need three connected, not washed brain cells to understand that the cause of this excess mortality must be the vaccine, either by adverse events or, of course, by mechanisms like AD and so on and so forth. Exactly. What's, what, what did you want to say with your other slide, Thomas? Yeah, this, this also is, is education under the title, a picture paints a thousand words. So this, this picture proves immediately the, the fundamental scam, namely the misattribution of many other diagnoses as COVID by a positive nonsense Corman Rosen RT-PCR test. Honestly, rolling a dice would be cheaper. Uh, on the, you see the date? Well, I cannot see the... X-axis, on the x-axis, you would see the date. It is a bit too large. It does feel more than the screen, but well, on the x-axis is the date. On the y-axis is the ICU bed occupancy. Yeah, maybe a little bit more, make it a little bit smaller. Oh, well, now it's okay. Yeah, thank you. And then there is a black curve. This is the total ICU bed occupancy over the time. There is a green curve. These are the non-COVID patients. And the yellow curve for the COVID patients. I must tell you, of course, this is the real, real-time monitoring of intensive care occupancy by the ETH Zurich, an internationally famous Swiss university. You can find it on the www.icumonitoring.ch. Click on national trends. They stopped this in April, but you can still find this data there. Yeah. And so let's look, for example, in summer 2020, we had this 1% false positive tests with, with, with uh, which they gave the allegation that this is the perennial virus that even in, in the summer when they are sweating at 35 degrees in the shadow, the populace has to wear face masks. And then, for example, we see the sharp rise of the COVID cases, the yellow curve in October 2020. And yeah. exactly at the same time, instantly, the, the green curve of the non-COVID yep. patients goes down exactly at the same time at almost the same amount. I yep. mean, there in the flu season, the total ICU uh, uh, occupancy is rising. This is always, always the case in the, in the flu season, of course. They, we had the addition of the uh, acute respiratory infections whose worst ones uh, landed in the mechanically ventilated in the ICUs. For this, we always had this about 20% reserve for, for the flu season. But uh, these two curves are absolutely synchronous. I mean, if, if in October, when the yellow curve rises, 
the green curve would, would yeah. have continued, continued yeah, yeah. horizontally, and maybe after three or four weeks or so, that you, you, you think, oh, maybe we should postpone some operations and something like this, but then there is another dotted gray curve. This is the total, these are the total ICU beds in service. And you see they are augment, were augmented to 1,500 in April 2020. And during the alleged pandemic of the century, they decreased them to less than 900. Yep. And you see that we always had huge reserves, huge reserves. There was never any reason to postpone operations. I mean, of course, locally, there might be some over, might have been some overloading, likely always ahead. 30 years ago, as a fellow, I sometimes called uh, for one or two hours to, to find an ICU bed for a patient of mine. This, this we had always, but in the whole country, Switzerland, the, we had never had an overloading of the ICU. Uh, of the ICUs. So most of the COVID patients, of course, not all, of course, the virus exists, of course, the disease exists, but many of the patients were invented out of the factory vacuum because, well, you, you can imagine how is this possible? Well, either you believe in a supernatural um, authority, mostly, most people would say God, that for each patient that arrives in the the ICU postpones an operation, a car accident, um, yeah, myocardial yeah. infarction, and so on and so forth. Or the, 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 the solution of this puzzle is that at entry in the hospital, everybody gets this useless test. And of course, if, if, if it's positive after one day, the patients are just shifted from the green in the yellow yeah, curve. Yeah. And this also, this also uh, is proven by the fact that in no country there was there has never been in any country there has never been an overloading of ICUs. I mean, for example, in Germany, there are about three times more ICU beds per capita than in Switzerland, while in Sweden there are only half as much. Right. So when we Swiss would have been at the limit in Germany, there 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 they would have been no half empty, and in Sweden the patients would have been on the corridors. I mean, with this picture alone, you can prove the fundamental mental scam. Such graphs exist for every country, but I never saw it uh, so clearly as in this uh, Swiss near real time monitor. I appreciate it. it. I just wanted to, sh to show you this. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So um, we should probably finish. Uh, do you guys think yeah, we have one more? For, uh... You guys, fitting with the theme, do you guys you want me to share the letter that I got from the American Board of Internal Medicine oh, this week? Nice. I just want to show you what the latest persecution is. All right, so yeah, I'm going to share sure. the screen. It shows um, some select statements in an editorial published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it's basically the American Board of Internal Medicine. So Thomas and Andrea, the American Board of Internal Medicine, it's it's you have your license to practice medicine, but if you pass a special exam, you get an extra certification. So it's it's kind of like something that you you carry as a measure of of being somewhat superior, maybe, or you know, it's a way to get a little bit more credentials. It doesn't mean you can't practice medicine, but many of us are board certified. So I am board certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine. However, the American Board of Internal Medicine really doesn't want people with board certification to share misinformation. 
They can't have board certified doctors talking nonsense. So they want to come up with a policy to try to attack bad information. And so they wrote an editorial and they, re, they, they want to confront this danger of medical misinformation. Now, the only problem with that, and I'm just stating the obvious, is that they determine what is good and bad information. Okay. So they come up with this editorial. And in this editorial, they say that after they came up with this policy, look at the top, we received a number of reports alleging violations of this policy by specific physicians. Okay. So that was published two weeks ago. All right. So this is just, I, 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 uh, I scanned it. This is a letter to me uh, from the American Board of Internal Medicine one week after that editorial. And so, you know, dear Dr. Corey, as you know, we're a community of physicians and you are currently certified. I have three boards. I have a board in internal medicine, pulmonary disease, and critical care medicine. But then they point out that I'm a president and founding member of the FLCCC, an organization that purports to have been formed by a leading critical care specialist and dedicated to developing protocols. Um, and then they say, we have reviewed an extensive amount of content attributed to you or av available through the FLCCC website, as well as other commentary you have made on Twitter and Substack about COVID and COVID treatments. Um, then they say that we promote protocols and that we consider ivermectin a core medication, and even that we characterize hydroxychloroquine as effective. I mean, we are committing crimes everywhere here. Then they say that among other ways in which you have purported to characterize the scientific evidence is I talked about literally the world's largest study where they did show massive reductions in infections, hospitalizations, and death. But apparently they consider this information. I'm giving my interpretation of the world's largest study on ivermectin. And then they go on to talk about the retraction of our paper. You know, we've had a number of papers retracted. This is all part of the war. Um, and then they're really, they're following me on Twitter. They're following me on Substack. And then they finish, and I'll just say this. This is their false or inaccurate medical information policy. It says, while ABIM recognizes the importance of legitimate scientific debate, physicians have an ethical and professional responsibility to provide information that is factual, scientifically grounded, and consensus-driven. Wait, consensus-driven? I, I, I was okay with the first two. I was okay with the first two, not with the third. Providing false or inaccurate information is unprofessional and unethical and violates the trust. Therefore, mm -hmm. such conduct con constitutes grounds for disciplinary sanctions. And then in this last one, they basically tell me, that they're going to hold a committee meeting, they're going to look at my record, and they're going to determine whether I should be subject to discipline and whether my board certification should be removed. Um, and then I have a right of appeal. Um, you know, it's just another day in the life of, of someone who's trying to do the right thing here. And so, uh, so look at the bottom paragraph. They write, on the other hand, so they say it's okay to have justifiable positions. It, they actually kind of say, like, it's okay to have an opinion that's different from others, but you can't say things that are categorically untrue. And this is the examples they give. They say, on the other hand, when someone certified 
by the board says something like, the origin of all coronary heart disease is a clearly reversible arterial scurvy. Okay, maybe that's untrue. Children can't spread COVID. Uh, that's maybe partly untrue. Then they say, anyone who says vaccines don't prevent COVID deaths or hospitalizations. Andrea, that is a 100% falsehood. We should be condemned exactly. ever saying that. Absolutely. That's been determined it, to be 100% true. I can tell you, I can tell you that now, today we had only 80 deaths from COVID. But a uh, few weeks ago, we, are, we had 200 a day or something like that. Well, the authority admit that 97% of the death were triple vaccinated. Of course. Vaccinated. So, and, and the science, the science is dubbed. Every, every time that you think like a scientist, you, you make an, uh, questions. Uh, there's not one science one only that is the right one. We have to talk one each other. We this, have to, this, must meet. This editorial is just a, a perfect example. It should be preserved for the history books of, of how insane our society has gotten. They're literally dictated. This is the Ministry of Truth from 1984, Thomas. The Ministry of Truth, period. Yeah. All right, Betsy, uh, should um, we finish? I think we've run out of time for questions. I think we thank you all for just an incredible, incredible session. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and lots of good information, lots of horrors to, to tell us all. But yes, we can all come together and work together. I do have a few things to, to share. And one of those things is going to be that our guests, uh, you have information and we have, yes, how are everyone out there? Here's how you can follow Dr. Stormetsi and Dr. Binder, and you can get in touch with them, follow what they are doing, and we will continue talking to them and getting everything coming together so that there are more good brains in this organization and working together around the world to try to save lives. And I want to also thank, uh, we, we have four nurses who've been working behind the screens and we don't have time to have them talk with you, but I just want to mention their names because we've had our CRNA, Christina Moros. Uh, she's been on with three RNs. Thank you to uh, Samantha Hanks and Scott Rogers, who are good friends who've been here before. And we have a new one, Pamela Burnham, who was with us today. Thank you all so much. And oh, yes, look at the protocol. Um, I do need to mention that the newest protocol, the updated protocol, is on the website. There it is. You can download it. Be sure to do that. And also, you may have noticed we have another slide that intermittent fasting is part of the new protocol. It has all kinds of great health benefits. If you need some help on how to get started on internet, intermittent fasting, um, our wonderful Christina Maros has made some infographics that will help you learn more about this. They're on the website also. So, and also while you are there, 
be sure to check out the latest episode of Long Story Short with Dr. Bean. He is now looking at immune regulation mechanisms. And let's see, next uh, page. Okay, you may also want to look at Pierre's latest substack on medical exemptions, which documents the informed consent discussion he had with one family and is filled with lots of great information, resources, and links. You find it at Pierre Corey, spelled K-O-R-Y there, folks, dot substack dot com. I told you we had a lot of good stuff here. And our Dr. Merrick Paul is going to be in Tennessee this weekend for an event organized by the Nurse Freedom Network, the organization led by Kimberly Overton, who's been here. You can find more details at givebutter.com slash nurse hyphen freedom hyphen network. And maybe if you're in the neighborhood, you can get to see Paul in Brentwood, Tennessee. He always likes to see lots of you there. And finally, we just always like to say we thank you for supporting our life-saving work. Betsy, you can, let, let me do let me, yes. Hey Betsy, let me do this appeal. I haven't done it in a while. Yes, please do. Guys, <laughs> if you heard tonight and you see what we're up against, <laughs> I mean, we're like the little engine that could. I mean, we are up against like billions of dollars of massive forces. We're trying to put information out in every way that we can. We're trying to collaborate with colleagues. We need our, our team and we need our support. And so, you know, if you think we're doing something right and you, and you want us to keep going, you know, help us to do that. So please uh, think of us. If you're looking for a charity or, or something to support, uh, we're here for you. We're, we're, we're fighting. And say it any better. Thank you so much. Thank you all. That's it. We will see you. Thank next you so week. much. Andrea, oh, thank you. Recorded. Thomas, thank you. Yes. Thank you. And this guys. will be online tomorrow. You'll see it. We'll get the notice out that you'll be able to see it. We'll post it on the website. And see you next week. Be well. Thank you, guys. Thank you. The good will prevail. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Bye, guys. <laughs>